And what we're going to witness today are these young people identifying with their Savior. So Steve is going to be, go first, and he'll come on up and give some testimonies, and then they'll do the baptism, and we'll do the others. morning. I'm Steve Golden, father to these three. Um, it blesses me immensely to know my kids are following Christ. It's a blessing to be up here this morning. And they've asked me to read their testimonies for them. They're a little shy. So um, Genevieve is my oldest, so I'll read hers first. Uh, when did you become a Christian? She said, when I was four, when daddy told me about the Bible, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I'm a sinner and need to be saved. And describe your conversion. She said, when I was four, I started believing that Jesus died for my sins. I prayed with my mommy and daddy that Jesus would forgive my sins. God helps me want to obey and do what's right. I want to be baptized because I believe Jesus died for my sins, and I want everyone to know that I believe Jesus saved me. And when asked what she would tell someone how to be saved from sin and assured of going to heaven, she said she would tell them that Jesus died for their sins and rose up again, that they need to believe that Jesus died for them. They need to ask Jesus to forgive them. I would say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Stevie is our second one. When did you become a Christian? She said, I started believing Jesus died for my sins and rose again when daddy read the Bible to us. Describe your conversion, she said, when my daddy would read the Bible to me, I realized I was sinful and needed Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and rise again. I prayed to Jesus to forgive my sins, and I wanted to be baptized. I want people to know I believe in Jesus and that he died on the cross for me. And what she would tell someone on how to be saved, she said, I would say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he died for your sins and rose on the third day for you. If you want to go to heaven, all you have to do is believe. And if, is there anything particular you'd like to tell people at this baptism? She said, I really want to be baptized, and I'm very excited. And Michael is our next one. <clears throat> when did you become a Christian? He said, when I was three. Describe your conversion. He said, when Daddy was praying with us and he started telling us about the Bible, I started trusting in God because I didn't want to go to hell. I started trusting him to save me. I trust Jesus to forgive my sins. I want to be baptized because I love God, and I want everyone to know that I love God. <clears throat> and on um, telling someone how to be saved, Michael said, I tell them to trust in God and ask Jesus to forgive their sins. Based on your profession of faith, 
forgiveness of your sins, the reception of eternal life, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. of the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. this morning. Um, so this is happening. So uh, this is Jubilee and Samuel, and I'm, they have elected to kind of tell their stories with a little bit of coaching here. So Jubilee, when did you become a Christian? November 18th, 2019. And can you describe what that was like? What was what was happening? Um, I was reading my Bible and I opened to Psalm 23, and when I read, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, I kind of felt safe, and that was comfortable. Good. Um, how do you, can you, when you, if you were to tell someone to be saved from their sins, what would you say? Um, believe Jesus paid uh, by dying on the cross, and we have hope because he rose again. Is there anything that you want to tell everybody about your baptism today? I want to be baptized to publicly show that I've chosen to follow Jesus and that I'm his. Okay. Thank you. All right, Samuel. Um, when did you become a Christian? I do not know when I became a Christian. I just know that Jesus is Lord and his death paid for my sin. Very good. Um, if you were needing to tell someone how to be saved, what would you tell them? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and receive salvation. Is there anything you want to tell anybody about your baptism today? I am letting people know that I am following Jesus Christ, the Lord. Okay. Are you excited to get baptized today? 
Yes. <laughs> He's been telling me about it. I'm so looking forward to this. So. <laughs> Good morning. We have Jonah August here. He is 10, and it is a just absolute blessing and honor to uh, see that he is following Christ and uh, wants to give his life to him, or has given his life to, life to God and wants to publicly make that known. Jonah, tell me about how you became a Christian. Fall of 2022, I was reading the Gospel of John with my dad. It was a little scary, but I had a light bulb moment, and I saw that Jesus was the way to salvation. And when you tell somebody about how to be saved from sin, how do you, uh, how would you share that to them? I know God is the truth, and no matter how sinful anyone is, God sent his son, Jesus, to save us. He died on the cross for us and rose again, defeating death. If you believe in Jesus, and that he is the way to heaven and eternal life with God, you will be saved from death and sin. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I am ready to serve God forever.
Jesus to save you from your sins? Yes. By his death and burial and resurrection, in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm Josh Davenport. Uh, this is Cole Davenport. Uh, it's a great honor to be able to do this today and know that he's given his life to follow Christ. Um, when did you become a Christian? Uh, January 13th of 2021. Um, so describe your conversion. I asked Jesus into my heart during nap time after reading the theology book with mom because I wanted to be his child and live uh, with him forever and ever in heaven. We need to tell someone how to be saved from sin and be assured of going to heaven. What will you tell them? If you ask him into your heart, you will live with him because he loves you, made you, and if you were the only person, he would still have died for you. Is there anything you, in particular that you'd like to share? I'm so excited for this and have waited for this for my whole life. Wow. <laughs> Praise be to God. That is great. I just kept thinking as we were uh, watching all these baptisms of these kids, um, I was thinking about faith like a child, and it's, it's such a special thing. This is going to be a hard thing to do. Oh, come on. Okay. That would be crazy. You know, it's, it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Well, guys, um, welcome. Excited to be up here in front of y'all. And if we haven't met, my name is Willie Brooks. And um, like I said, I'm excited and honored to be up here and uh, to bring the word. Um, and uh, as a result of elders asking me to. So uh, let, me, let me start out with a prayer. God, you are so good. You have been so good to us. What a beautiful thing it is to see 
newer lives give their whole life to you. What a beautiful thing it is to just know that they are in your arms for eternity. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage us today, that you would challenge us, and Lord, that your church, your bride, would just bring you glory as a result of what your word has to say. Lord, that we would be spurred on to carry out the work you call us to in this world, full of love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, you should have a study sheet, and uh, you, you've probably seen already today, the topic is membership. And uh, we're going to start out by talking about eternal membership, and then move into church membership as a result of our great salvation. For those of you who haven't been a part of Lion and Lamb for a while, we know, uh, or if, for those of you who have not been a part of Lion and Lamb for a while, there are a variety of thoughts on church membership, and the topic can be somewhat polarizing. So for those who are newer, I want to start out by talking about the history at Lion Lamb of church membership. The history on membership in the church goes back to around 2015-ish, I think, give or take a year or two. I didn't actually ask, but um, it's close enough, right? The church had moved into the building, this building. It was growing, and the elders, in an effort to continually, effectively shepherd the flock, instituted church membership. And if you've been around Lion and Lamb for long, you know we can be, as I remember Larry saying it once, eclectic, which just means divisive. Yeah, I had to look it up. I also think we, being more, more homeschooled than not, we can be a bit autonomous. And I, of all people, like being autonomous. Another word for autonomous is independent. And so you see where I'm going with this. Membership, with all of its good intentions and outcomes, can be somewhat of a hot topic for some in our church today. But it's also a source of great blessings for many others. And so it's here. I just want to make sure I want to communicate love and respect for all. Knowing this, my goal today is to speak the truth in love, to guide our hearts to the worship of Christ in the service of his church. That membership for this church would be something we are compelled to do, not just because it's something that elders ask us to do. That it's from the heart, I think, fruit will bear. Membership is so simple and so easy in so many ways, yet it can be hard because it requires commitment, dependence, vulnerability, and dare I say it, submission. Being what I should be, and all of these attributes are hard for me much of the time, so I understand if others feel the same. And here's the big point of the day I hope we all walk away with. Outside of myself, in light of whose I am, that I've been bought with a price, commitment to the local church at the end of the day should be a response to this great salvation 
of whom we have been invited into by the creator and sustainer of all things. Praise be to God. So, if you would open up your Bibles or your apps, please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. The primary passage that we'll be reading today in chapter 2 are verses 17 through 22. But before we go there, in order to remind us of the glories of being Christ's, it's always good for our hearts to go down memory lane. And so that we remember what we've been saved from. So I want to start at the beginning of the chapter, starting in verse 3, or sorry, starting in verse 1 through 3. Let's read. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What else can be said? We were dead. We were following the prince of the power of the air. Do we know who that is? That's Satan. Before Christ, Satan was the object of our pursuits, and thereby we were children of wrath, that being God's wrath. Does anyone, uh, anyone with any understanding of the truth want to be an object of God's wrath? Of course not. What a terrible thing that is, and not just terrible, but terror-filled. But then... Verses 4 through 10, but God, and I'm going to paraphrase, we are in, but God, we are now in Christ and are now made alive. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are promised to receive immeasurable grace, riches of his grace, and then we are made his workmen, meaning we do good works for Christ, which means instead of being an object of wrath, we are now an object for the glory of God. So, this salvation is great. So now let's turn our attention to verses 17 through 22, which is our main passage of the day. Here, we have some great truths and promises of the realities of the, this new life in Christ. The context here is discussion on unity between the Jew and the Gentile. The divide between the Jew and the Gentile was so great. Imagine today as if it was between a Jew and one of Muslim descent. However, yet the gospel of Christ has broken down that wall of hostility. These verses talk about the outcome of salvation, but also the unity of the church as a result of that salvation. So let's go ahead and read verses 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we're just going to go through these verse by verse. Verse 17 The topic of the day here is peace. And God provides us peace as we are no longer objects of his wrath. We just read that in verse 3. In Romans 3.19, it says, All are under the law and held accountable to, to God, which we know we're not able to keep the law of God ourselves. That's the whole gist of Romans 3. Without Christ, because of our position before God, We are, in fact, enemies, and peace is not attainable. But in Christ, let's read Romans 5.1. It says, Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified, we now have peace with God. It's so easy to say. It comes right off the tongue. But let's slow down. And consider this peace. Let's think about peace in our world. Think about all the different continents on our planet where peace seems to be elusive as of late. As a millennial, war in my backyard is not really part of my experience. In America, as the background music plays so loudly of entertainment and apps and busyness, There are these whispers of a broader war as of late and an ongoing almost silent war on our culture. And these things, it makes you think, wow, peace is something special. The extended relative peace of my lifetime is just a shadow of the peace we have in Christ. So here's the question. How do we begin to understand and appreciate peace. I would say we understand the peace and the turmoil. We understand the peace and the conflict. And from a spiritual sense, we remind ourselves of heaven and hell. Without going into details, consider what you have been saved from. We were dead, objects of wrath, and we now have peace. And so our response Oh, what a great salvation. Let's read verse 18 again. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What I want to highlight here is our access to God. Here's a question. Have you ever been locked out of somewhere, like uh, your house or your car? Some of you more than others, probably. Or your bank account. Maybe you uh, forgot your password. And then once you gain access to this thing that you couldn't get into, there's this sense of relief that comes over you. And then you can do or see whatever previously was just a hope. And so as I consider our access to God, I thought of it in a couple ways. First, access to his throne. As I think about access to God's throne, I think about how we have access through our prayers. I think about the verse in Revelation 8 
where it talks about the prayers of the saints as incense wafting into his presence on the throne. I think about access to his throne as access to his authority and power. And so let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. It's just, you know, one page over on the other side of the page. I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. For this reason, oh, sorry, context. Paul, up to this point, has been talking about the role of the church to shine the light of the gospel, okay? Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the thankfulness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. What sticks out here to me is how we have we are strengthened with power as, our, as a result of our salvation and access to him. It mentions it multiple times. In verse 16, it says, strengthened with power. In verses 17 and 18, it says that being rooted and grounded in love, that we would have strength. Verse 20 says that we can do much more than we can imagine because of the power at work within us. So let's bring this into context for us. Have you ever felt powerless or where justice was not upheld? Or were you wronged in some way? Some examples you may have heard or witnessed or experienced. Abusive women where they have no voice, no access to a power to save, and the only power in their midst physically, in a physical sense, is their unjust abuser. Or what about children that are being trafficked? stuck with no access to any power that will physically deliver them. That was us before Christ. Destitute. Justly destitute, yes, but we were stuck in a situation where we were powerless to do anything about it ourselves. So, do you ever consider access to his throne? We were dead, objects of wrath. And now we have access to his throne. And so our response can none other be, oh, what a great salvation. I also consider access to God's throne, God's throne in a more personal sense, access to the table, where we will commune with him as the bride of Christ, loved together, not separate. I think of Revelation 19.9, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here's the question, have you ever been lonely or been left out? Maybe you didn't get an invite from a friend, or maybe it's a story or a joke that no one included you in, the feeling that I'm not valued or I don't matter. Consider a child whose parents give them no time or have abandoned them altogether. Have you been separated by those who care about you? 
because of something that you did. Maybe you couldn't hang out with friends because you got in trouble or were not responsible to get your homework done. Or consider a prisoner who misses his children growing up, missing their birthdays, Christmas, just simple things like putting their kids to bed every day or dinner at the table. So do you ever consider our access to his table? When Christ says at the Last Supper, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my kingdom. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. Obviously, we remember Christ, his body broken and his blood spilled for his bride. But I also want us to remember his promise that we look back in thankfulness, but also we look forward to the day where he will have his bride. What a glorious thing it is. I would contend that the dichotomy of who we are with Christ and without Christ is perhaps so vast that we will spend eternity in worship of our Savior. And so, do you ever consider access to his throne? Remember, we were dead, and we were objects of wrath, and we now have access to his table. And so our response can be none other than, oh, what a great salvation. Let's continue reading in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So Matthew 22, 11 through 14 is the parable of the wedding feast where it talks about the king seeing a guest at the wedding who was not dressed for the occasion, and he was bound and cast into the outer darkness. He was not welcome. Philippians three eighteen through 21 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Citizenship closely ties into identity, asking the question who we are. I think more importantly than who we are is asking the question whose we are. We were far off once, having not been accepted, but now we are Christ's. We are citizens. And so do you ever consider our citizenship? We were dead, objects of wrath, and we are now citizens. And so our response can none other be, oh, what a great salvation. So let's read 20 through 21. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Simply here, verses 20 and 21 now talk about the foundation of the church being God's word. The reference to the apostles and prophets is a reference to God's word. How important is a foundation for a building? It keeps it standing, right? 
Without a foundation, the building doesn't last. And so God's word is our foundation. And then verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, in light of such a great salvation, in light of the word that is our foundation, what then is our response? What then is our call? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So with this in mind, I want us to consider the works of the church and specifically for today, church membership. In verse 19, we just read that we are members of the household of God, and this, in a more macro sense, is the universal church. In verse 22, it says that we are built together, which I see as a more practical view of our membership as part of the body. And what I envision when I hear that, I envision a wall of stones being built together that closely work with each other, that depend on each other to achieve a goal. There's a sense of proximity in which the local church works together with those around them while also supporting the overall vision and the overall goal of the structure as a whole. So let's talk about church membership for a second. In a minute, I'm going to talk about the why it exists at Lion Lamb and what it means for us individually, but I just want to clarify a couple things here on the front end. First, let's define church membership as I'm talking about it right now. In this instance, I'm talking about membership, uh, church membership is a formal membership on, in this local body. Next, church membership is not directly commanded in the Bible. Now, you can find plenty of verses that appear to allude to the concepts and the goals church membership pursues, but it's not com uh, commanded in Scripture. It's also not prohibited. And so the why. Why is church membership utilized at Lion and Lamb? And what value does it bring for the work of the church? I think this is important. First is commitment. Formal membership, I think, leads to a greater sense of commitment to the local body from individuals. Membership simply says you are making a commitment to live with the saints at Lion and Lamb in a committed and sacrificial way. Next is being known. In 1 Peter 5.2, it talks about the, upper, the, the elders shepherding the flock of God, exercising oversight. The elders will one day give an account to the flock. Do you think it's important for the elders to know the flock? Do you think it's helpful to be... Uh, if for the flock to be known. In a world where the church, church hopping is a part of the culture, when you have the freedom to go to a handful of churches at any point you want, committing to membership embraces the concept that being known by the elder, of being known by the elders and by the body, uh, the other rest in the body. And the next uh, is protection. Whether we like it or not, we live in a society where that is somewhat combative towards churches. When a church practices church discipline with a member, 
there are legal protections that exist that do not exist for, for those that are not a member. And I remember when I first came to Lion Lamb and membership was being explained, um, I had came from a church where membership wasn't really a thing. It was a little, it was new to me. And I remember this point from a legal perspective, and I, I remember thinking, um, and this was in 2016. This doesn't really seem like that big a deal, but sure, if this happened, I can see how um, this could be of value. That's what I thought. But now, in 2024, the world is a little bit different. I see the value of this point for church membership because the war on culture has persisted in such a way that the front lines have moved from the sidewalk to the front door. And everyone can have their opinion about the current status of the world, but no one can deny the movement of our culture away from God. And lastly, I think the most compelling why is our heartfelt response to salvation and God's call in our lives to do the work of the church together. And so what, is, what does it look like? What, is, what does it tangibly look like as a member? It looks like what God calls you to in his word. Membership should not call you to anything contrary to God's word. And if it does, that's a problem. Here's the thing. The list on the sheet that you have are things we should all commit to regardless of whether we sign a piece of paper or we become a a membership, a member, or we prescribed a membership or not. Membership is intended to just, is to not be burdensome. It's a formal commitment to what you are already being called to do. And so I'm just going to highlight a couple of the items, a couple on the list. First is giving. We are all called to support the work of the church. There are lots of examples in scripture. And I think the example of sacrificial giving in Scripture is beyond what a lot of us would likely practice. Now, I would say this. If you are not, um, it, I would say it's not good to give under compulsion. So if you're not giving right now and you are compelled to give just because it's a part of the membership form, I would say that should not be your motive to give. I would say that's giving under compulsion. Giving should be a response to God's call on our lives, a response to this great salvation, a response to what God's word has called you to. And I'm going to skip down to attend. And I think this hits a lot on the list. Attending means investing time. Investing time means you make priority decisions in your life. Do you pursue investing your time in the church, whether it's on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, or a home group, uh, or perhaps attending the women's conference on February 16th and 17th? Giving of your time or ser to serve one another? I think this is a big one because we're investing ourselves into each other, and that's what the church ought to be doing. If you consider your church kind of like your family, you start getting the picture of what I think it means to show up and be present with each other. And it's hard to be a family when no one's around. And <clears throat> here's the thing. I could spend like the whole time and some more on the what. What does it look like? 
and outlining all the things that God calls us to do as, as uh, members of the church. But I think it starts with the why, which we've previously discussed. It's a response to our salvation. It's a response to the obedience of, to the word. And so, so, so how do you become a member? If you have any interest, uh, if that's what you want to do, it's, it's simple. The form that's in your bulletin, you fill it out, you give it to an elder, you'll have an interview with two elders, and after that interview, uh, you're a member. Simple. Now, there is a membership class starting next week during the Sunday school hour, so 9 a.m. next Sunday, and it's open to all. Whether you're already a member, whether you want to be a member, or let's say you don't want to be a member, you're welcome. Everybody's welcome. It's four weeks long, and it will be the best, most succinct way to learn about how the church does church. And so, as I said beginning, there are some objections to membership, and I want to just at least acknowledge that. And so I'm just going to speak to a few. Some say membership would be against Scripture. And I mentioned it earlier, and I'll just reaffirm it. I spent some time searching the Scriptures for such a thing. And as a result, I was actually more convinced of the opposite as I did the hunt. I think the New Testament speaks more strongly to the commitment of individuals that they should have towards a local body than what we actually live by in a lot of ways. And you just look at the early church in the book of Acts. The standard for commitment to each other was substantial. Some may say, I'm already a member of the body of Christ in a universal sense, so why do I need to become a member? And I think in my mind, the goal is, as I've said earlier, that membership is just a formal commitment to what you are already doing. When we know that each other are committed to one another, we can depend on one another in a different way than if that commitment did not exist. And then some have an issue with the fact that there are limitations on who can be in a representative role at Lion Lamb Church, and thereby limiting the person's ability to do ministry God has called them to. I think a couple things on this. First, I don't disagree. Someone limiting someone's abilities, ability to do what God has called them to is not good. I would contend that God's call for his people is to follow his word. Hebrews 13.4 makes it clear. Submit to the leadership of the elders. So if someone wants to carry out God's work, submitting to the leadership of the elders is a part of that work. Secondly, the elders, with the health of the church and the glory of Christ in mind, have opted to include some protections on what, on who can represent the church. So a wolf in sheep's clothing does not infiltrate the body and wreak havoc. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, and it has good outcomes. And so here we are at my concluding point. We started with this great salvation, and we have our response to this great salvation in the context of church membership. And now I want to end with what I think is the icing on the cake. I'm going to reread uh, verse 22. 
In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Why is it important that God's people follow God's ways and commit to one another, being built together? Why should we care? Because it's not about us. We are just stones used by God to bring glory to the Lamb. He has chosen us to be vessels of honor, not dishonor. The honor of being a dwelling place by God, where in Scripture did that exist? Where did God dwell? How about the tabernacle, as the Israelites made their way through the desert, or the temple? These structures, once built, were places of great glory to God, where people's eyes would not be on the stones that held up the church, or that held up the structure, but on the God that dwelt in them. I think we should consider such a reality for ourselves and as a church. How can we bring glory to God more fully and more holy? Would it not be the unified work of the church where we are committed to one another, full of love? How do you consider your calling? Is it as a stone built together, a piece of the dwelling place for the glory of God? And so here's my closing comment. Remember, you were dead, but now you've been made alive. And so our response can be none other than, oh, what a great salvation. Let me pray. God, you are good, and we praise your name. And we thank you for this great salvation and this great hope. Lord, we were dead, and you've made us alive. We will dine with you someday in worship of the Lamb. And so I pray that we, as your body, your bride, in a local sense, would be unified to carry out the work you call us to for your glory and not ourselves, Lord. You are good and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and we'll read a verse. Maybe. There we go. All right. Repeat after me, please. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory 